And we're off. Welcome to Biofitness episode four. Today we have Dar McGuinness, otherwise known as Coach Bick. How are you doing today, Dar? I'm doing very good. Caffeine is in. Yeah, I just heard the revelation. Um, I, I popped open that can of, well, it was no cold mango, but I asked you if you drank cans of Monster and you pretty much rubbished it. <laughs> destroyed me there with that one, mate. I'm pretty sure my experiences before Loco in America have turned me off anything that tastes anyway similar to it. So no cold uh, monster anything like that can't have it ah oh, four local yeah uh, yeah I've, i had a few of them a few weeks ago and oh, the next day was not pleasant for me they're only if, if it was a few weeks ago it's not even it's not even got anything on the original recipe one yeah oh man they apparently they took loads of stuff out of it and it's not nearly as mad as the old one but anyway we're getting sidetracked no, it's always the way isn't it did you did you ever try the original jack 3d with the pre-workout yeah class Honestly, I I never heard of pre-workouts when I first started uh, kind of fitness and one of the boys said to me get some of that into I think went to my local leisure centre at eight o'clock at night, took two scoops of it. I'm telling you I was seeing sounds till about nine o'clock the next day. It was not a wink of sleep happened that day. Oh, some of them old pre-workouts, man. <laughs> Doing mad stuff, you'd be getting palpitations for a few hours after. Yeah, the good times. Uh, the good times <laughs> enjoyed that. <laughs> Feeling like you're gonna die. Um so last time uh, I spoke to you on a podcast was your very first episode that you sometimes forget about. <laughs> um, but yeah, your very first episode, and that was started during lockdown, back when we couldn't speak to anybody else. Aye. That was mad, wasn't it? Um, so when it comes to lockdown, we've come a long way from there. We've, we're actually sitting in the same room together, albeit mm. my podcast aren't as advanced as you. We've no videos there, and <laughs> you've almost promised to cry today, so I'm not going to be able to <laughs> capture that. Um, well, it makes me feel a wee bit more safe knowing that there's no video. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm going to open my camera on my phone and see if I can get it. Um, so we've come a long way since lockdown, but... Obviously, with lockdown, mate, your podcast was born during lockdown. Mm. Obviously, online training, there's a lot of things that happened during lockdown. So, tell me maybe one thing that came from lockdown that you didn't expect. Uh, well, podcast, first and foremost. It was always something that I kind of talked talked about, thought about. Never thought I'd ever follow through with it. I always thought it was one of these fellas who was good with ideas, but never followed through with it. But that probably changed as well in lockdown. It became more personal. It was like, right, I'm actually going to do these things that you say I'm going to do. The podcast would have been the top one. Got to meet people like yourself, Trish. Yeah. Loads of other coaches, loads of people in different areas, backgrounds, expanding my own knowledge and I'm better at talking shite now. <laughs> <laughs> you've upgraded, mate. You've got the next belt up on talking shite. Yeah. Uh, no, wait, it's, it's great that you've done that. I remember back in the time, like, you'd sent us a message to get on the podcast and then you had quite a few lined up. That's actually what I'm trying to do at the moment like following your lead on that sense um but you put together like a coaches group as well and mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah i was going through some of our messages the other day just to kind of see what tone we spoke about some of the questions and noticed that obviously we were in that coaching group and you'd set it up and like i mean you were doing proper bits for the for the team back in the, the lockdown days where everybody was struggling um when it comes to like lockdown what are you glad that it's ended for the only the only activity being going out for a walk that used to piss me off, you know, because I was in London for most of lockdown and they were pretty on you about you know the two k radius and yeah. stuff like that. So I was like, there's nothing around me here in London. So I've got a wee park and I've got a wee shop and I've got nothing. And literally just being able to walk, having to walk around that same little square or same little circuit. That's one thing I I, I needed changing the environment quite often. So that used to get me down a good bit, but. The slow pace that lockdown kind of brought, 
I've kind of brought that into how I've been approaching things since then. Like, obviously, I'm not as fucking lazy as I was in lockdown. <laughs> I'm actually walking. I'm I'm doing bits, but I'm not walking as much as I was pre-lockdown. Yeah, you take it take it as it comes. Really, mm. yeah. No, it's, it's it's good that we can look back at it. and the fact that you are saying that you were lazy during lockdown. You were one of the most productive people from <laughs> from, from the outside looking yeah. in. Anyway, it very much everybody yeah. always thinks they can do something better. But cool, mate. I'm going to move on a little bit. So, um. I put up a poll recently, and actually, last week's episode with Chrissy actually gave a controversial answer to this. Oh. Is a Jaffa cake a biscuit or a cake? Well, if it's not a cake, then why are you calling it a cake? Good man, call them out. But with that, right, a tea cake has technically got a biscuit base with a marshmallow covering mm. and would technically be a biscuit. But a Jaffa cake has actually got a cake base with a chocolate top. So, yes, the argument, like, yeah, you could say that the why they call it that. But the exception to that rule would be then a tea cake. Mm. But yeah, Jaffa cakes, I would say, would be a cake because it's 85% cake at the bottom. Biscuit size cake, but cake nonetheless. If a biscuit doesn't have. Now I'm gonna. I'm opening the rabbit hole here because <laughs> I'm, my logic is already broken in my head because <laughs> I would say if you can't. If a biscuit's not like hard on. Yeah. You know, like a, a biscuit, you usually just a bit of bite to it. But then there's loads of other biscuits that I like that aren't like that. Are they cakes now? Alright, oh, biscuits. I'm going to have you thinking uh, later on today, tonight. Um, it's too early for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move to where we're kind of aiming to be with this. So, you, I thought you would be great to have on because you are someone who's very much about mindsets, habits, mm. routines, and you call out some of the red flags and dark arts within the fitness industry. So, I thought probably the best place to start would be talking about your experience in fitness itself. So what got you into fitness? Mm, so I started playing sports eight or nine. Most young fellas in, in Ireland would play rugby and Gaelic all the way up through. Never really was considering myself great at any of them. It was only when I started kind of going to the gym to try and lose a wee bit of weight that I actually started noticing I got good at these things. Um, and I enjoyed the gym. I start, actually started enjoying training then and um, got more confident and it kind of spiralled on from there, I got really into fitness, started doing five, six weight sessions a week, got more into bodybuilding style training and then I thought I wanted to compete on stage. Really? Oh yeah. That stage? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, like, well that was post doing transformations, uh, at, like transformation gyms, I did two or three of them. And I kind of had it in my head that I wanted to compete. I'm actually missing the massive part of there that I went to do sports science and health in DCU <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. for four years, kind of at the same time that I really got into training. Um, so obviously I was learning about training at the same time of getting more physically fit myself and and finding love for it and the confidence I kind of gained for it, I was like I want to bring that to other people yeah. but early on I also kind of wanted to work a lot with athletes still kind of do but not not as much as I did then I was like oh I just want to walk for a sports team <laughs> yeah. and want to train Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> <laughs> what an athlete he would be to train like yeah. I, I think like having an athlete like Cristiano Ronaldo just kind of go off topic here like you would you could give him pretty much anything and he'd respond really well to doing that like it's hard to say well like what actually would work for him because it's on one hand so genetically great but also such a hard worker mm. not that I know him but I've heard this um, it would be the Herbalife that would drive, drive the performance even more the Herbalife <laughs> we've already <laughs> touched on our first controversial topic we're not, we're not too deep into that so anyway mate you've 
obviously mentioned you wanted to work with athletes. We, you currently do work with athletes. Mm. Um, we'll get on to that. So when you got into kind of bodybuilding, into that type of style of training, um, I'd imagine that you probably wanted to do that from a physique point of view to start off with getting into that. Uh, I've seen pictures of you, mate, and you were very, very lean, like body fat, mm. very, very low, good bit amount of muscle mass on you. What are the pros of being in that shape? Well, I tell you what, I probably never enjoyed my weight training as much as I did then because it was it was such a part of me. Yeah. When you get then when to get to where you need to be to get super lean, you need to make nearly your whole life about training and eating to a certain degree, and you probably you can you can get into a good wee groove of training like I did. I was fucking loving training. Uh, but it was also we get on to the, the negatives and why we stay in the pros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got about twelve seconds. Twelve seconds. <laughs> Obviously, confidence walking around and how how we felt in, in clothes and all felt great. It's hard to actually put myself back into it because since then I probably seen it as more of a nearly a negative thing in my head. So I actually find it hard to find the positives. Yeah. Uh, but you, it was mostly to do with how we felt and the confidence. But I also think that led to the negatives as well because when you base so much of yourself around how you look, then it's always going to fall apart some way. You're going to get older and you're not going to look the same as you do when you're younger. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah um, so which leads into the negatives. I mean, this might be longer than 12 seconds. What are then the negatives in your view? So when you're so focused only on one thing, it's very easy to just forget about and leave loads of things by the sideways, your relationships with other people, your family, friends, if you're studying, if you got work. I literally just focused on training and eating and sleeping. And yeah. it was training, eating, sleeping. And, and I was doing, I was in my third and fourth year of college. So like probably should be spending more time uh, doing my thesis and studying and stuff like that instead of worrying about my own training. So that's one part of it. Um, I think it affected me a lot in terms of how I look at exercise and food for years and still kind of does whenever I have a down period it, it creeps its head back up like I know I'm not going to be as lean as that yep. in as quick a period as times I probably did it back then because yep. I won't do things the same way I don't think I'd have the freedom in my life to be able to do it the way I did it then as well and I know that doesn't make it any easier in terms of my relationship with food I always found it hard to uh, balance between actually enjoying my food and then eating for the end goal yeah. you know meeting in the middle was always hard for me i've gotten better with it but it either swayed to pure enjoyment and un unwanted piggery <laughs> or it, um it went to extremely restrictive so on that side of things it was really tough body image would have just seen myself as fat after that even if i was lean and, and big because i wasn't as lean as i was at that stage so kind of just jolted my kind of worldview and food and my body and myself now, not everybody gets that, so I don't want it to make it sound like everybody does. Some people can get to that point and they don't get those things badly, but I do think for most people it does push you down those kind of patterns. Yeah, 100%. It's a lot of people get into fitness as you have, as I have, to look better, to kind of usually plaster over either some insecurity or to feed an ego, one mm. of the two. Um, and then you mentioned on Instagram or to me or I can't remember but you've said that getting leaner doesn't necessarily equate to a better body image anyway mm. uh, and again a lot of the things that you touched on there do kind of fall by the wayside so what are your kind of fitness what do you get from fitness now if it's not body composition good question I actually don't do as much training in the gym now as I would have done like 
my younger self probably look at me now and be like, here, you don't even train because I only train maybe two to four times a week. Yeah. But I do jiu-jitsu maybe three to five times a week. Yeah. Uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, if anybody doesn't know what uh, jiu-jitsu is, is like a grappling sport demanding on the body, but there's a lot of thinking involved and that would be most of my training. I, I like that because it kind of, there's a mental aspect to it. There's a, like a kind of puzzle solving aspect. There's a social aspect with it. So that is the most of my training but what I get out of the, the gym training is nearly to keep my body in order for jiu-jitsu is to keep my body in order for coaching people keep me strong and able to do the shit I want to do up until I'm 70 80 plus hopefully if jiu-jitsu doesn't destroy my hips before then <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh, I actually just love there's certain things in the gym I actually just love doing like I was doing deadlifts the other day and I stand at the top after doing 180 kilos for the first time and like yeah and i was just like this is class <laughs> you've made it <laughs> like, yeah. it's not even about the number it was just like i actually just fucking love i love training and i love kind of i love seeing the small gains that you can get from from training i used to train so much and struggle to see so much progress because i scattered my i tried to do everything once now i'm kind of i do little chunks but i i'm more focused i know what i want to get better at and I love seeing the wee small gains and the progress side of it. And the same thing with jiu-jitsu, I like seeing the wee gains in that. And I like the feeling it gives me. A wee arm pump every now and then doesn't go a mess either. No. Especially we... when you have a bulky elbow like mine. <laughs> a wee arm pump. <laughs> yeah, look, when it comes to the strength training side of things that you mentioned there, obviously I quite my, a lot of my methodologies are based on strength. I think just even from not even the physical side, which you just mentioned there of numbers and everything else, it's more so even the fact that you can go in and you can then lift something that you couldn't lift six weeks ago, two weeks ago, one week ago, something that literally wouldn't move from the ground, you've managed to pick up. And there's something within that that's kind of like an analogy for life. Like mm. you, can, you can decide that you try and touch something, you try and put everything into it, you've given it everything you got and it doesn't move off the floors so you either decide never to do it again or you kind of take a step back and go how do i put the work in to get that and then ultimately that can then give you that mental edge where i would say that fitness has physically changed my life and mm. i'd say for the same for yourself in the sense that like though the skills and mental aspect of being able to do that week in week out and it doesn't always go perfect weeks like you will get weeks where you think that you should be able to lift something and it just doesn't happen for you but it's navigating that i think that's really what fitness and strength can bring now you coach a female lifting club mm, well i actually started the, the lads lifting club recently as well and the mixed lifting club and um, started out ladies lifting club because i just find ladies tend to have a harder time in the the gym environment just because it can be a bit more of an intimidating environment gyms would traditionally be more male dominated lads up with the the, the dumbbell rack curling and grunting and shit and i just wanted to create an environment where women could come in learn a bit more about strength training build a bit of confidence show themselves that they're way more capable and stronger than they think and uh, it's good crack for them as well i think it's good good to have people working together towards the same goal there's nothing better than seeing someone coming in and not thinking that they've got much strength in them and literally watching the expressions on their face, the mannerisms, the confidence they get and being able to do something that they didn't think they could do. It's honestly, it's, it's beautiful for another word, honestly. That's pretty much the reason that I do my job, really. It's a, it's a great thing to see. So moving on from there then, uh, we're going to go into some of the 
perhaps red flags. You put up a great post, I think it was last year, mm. about uh, some of the red flags that you see in fitness. So uh, I took a note of some of them. Uh, oh, oh, I know, okay. I've got my notes here. So I'll go through some of them. And I just want you to elaborate a little bit more on them, okay? Good. So first one is coaches that shame you when you go off plan. Mm. Give us a wee bit of detail about that. Well, this is a couple of layers here. So I think if any coach tries to make you feel shitty about yourself to try and guilt you into changing your behavior, obviously doesn't understand behavior change, yep. doesn't understand uh, human psychology at all, because more often than not, that's just gonna lead you to feeling worse about yourself, possibly leading you down worse choices, driving you away from that coach, potentially. Even if you don't get driven away from that coach, it just feeds into this cycle that you deserve to get given out to for making small wee mistakes, and I'm doing the little finger things here. <laughs> yeah. Second part of it is, off plan if you can only eat off a very select sheet of paper that is not going to be a long-term uh, plan and yes there are short-term plans that are viable but i don't think uh, anything too restrictive is going to be helpful for most especially when that person is going to be giving it out to you every time you go off plan you need to have something that's a little bit more flexible suitable to your life suitable to the ups and downs of life and yeah Fuck them people who do that. <laughs> I, I couldn't back you anymore. Um, just when you'd mentioned about like the sheet of paper and eating off a sheet of paper, um, meal plans are quite a controversial topic. Mm. From my own personal point of view, I'm actually not overly against giving somebody a structure and saying, look, for the first couple of weeks, this is kind of ideally how I'd make up your foods, simply because a lot of people come to you, they're unhappy with how they look, how they feel, because they're fueling their body incorrectly. So it's fair to say that they probably don't have an understanding of what foods are you give them calories and all of a sudden they're just trying to fit things in it's like trying to smash round pegs and square holes yeah. and it often just kind of you in my opinion your job is to help someone get there with coaching and as best you can as quick possible time as you can so mm. to remove the friction what are your kind of feelings on meal plans do you structure them and how do you do it so I don't personally give out meal plans. I do give out a list of infographs and little uh, documents here and there of potential meal plans yep. that people can have a look at and base themselves off. I always explain to them that this is just an example. If you're literally just eating the way that this sheet eats, you're probably gonna hit a stomach box soon enough because you're probably not getting enough variety. You're probably not making your food tasty enough. It, these are just a guide of examples that you could go off of. Usually the ones that I would give or the ones that people would give would be basic enough. You can still add flavorings onto that. You can still incorporate them things into recipes. I just don't like the idea of every single person should eat this particular food, you know, which is kind of what, how meal plans are usually given it. You've actually answered the second question. I know, <laughs> I, I know you already wrote this yourself, but uh, the second question was when you give out the same diet plan to everyone. Mm. Um, I'll let you go into that then. What are the, the cons of that then? Cons are is, look, everybody is going to be different height, different weight, different age, different activity levels, different history of training, potentially different stages of their like kind of training career you know if you've been training longer or, or shorter that's going to impact you know kind of what you're going to be eating your experience at dieting you know no point in giving a meal plan that's really in depth with loads of stuff that people haven't eaten before or cooked before if they've never cooked toast in their life yeah, yeah. you know so it's to me it's always about meeting people where they're at 
and giving them structure, giving them the tools and giving them options in terms of food. So if that's giving them a list of different meal plans to give them ideas, plus maybe a list of snacks, a list of yep. high protein food, a list of basic list of carbs and fats so that they kind of understand what things are and tailor it. I, I, I'm a big believer in people exploring and, and getting curious with food and kind of testing out things, seeing what they enjoy, seeing what works for them. Sometimes I'd be giving people tasks, right, go away and find a recipe that has like a veg in it and 20 grams of protein. Don't care what it is, just come back yeah. to me with it. That little exploratory way of doing it, maybe match alongside giving people meal plans to have an idea of what to go off of is kind of how I do it. But if you're giving everybody the same sheet of paper, you're a shit coach. I, I would even go as far to say as that's not coaching. That's no. just by the numbers because the fat loss requirements for somebody that's 110 kilos and male versus the fat loss requirements of a 55 kilo woman are going to be drastically different and you're talking possibly a thousand calories of difference there so mm. if you give both of them a meal plan or a, a set amount of calories that's 1100 calories of course they're both going to lose weight but it's going to be a miserable existence and afterwards if they start eating especially the person who's bigger they're going to go back to eating two and a half ish or whatever calories they would have been eating naturally that fucker's gonna put that weight on so quickly <laughs> yeah you know the other woman mightn't as another person mightn't as much because they are smaller so their calorie uh need isn't probably as high as the other person but you know just because it worked in the short term doesn't mean it doesn't fuck you up for the long term yeah they agree with you i think i heard a quote or read a quote a while back about the biggest issue with a 12-week program is there's no plan for week 13 mm. and if you've deprived yourself for for pizza for 12 weeks and you love pizza guess what you're doing week 13 smashing pizza yeah because if you have followed it and fair play to you if you put yourself through that miserable existence uh, your relationship with food's probably not great at that point but you've thought I've made it like you get to week 12 and you go I've made it and you're feeling great upon yourself in the sense of how you look so you're going I'm going to have pizza next week and the thing is you probably will get away with it for a week maybe two weeks possibly even three you might step on the scales and go flash and not put anything too much on but that's, a, that's the issue, you then start thinking, I'll get away with this, and then another 12 weeks have passed, and you've got to a worse position than you started with. You then sometimes, it goes one of two ways. You either stay that way and decide that's what you're going to do, or you tend to jump back into another 12-week program because you feel that that's the only way you can get back in shape again, and guess what happens? It's that yo-yo cycling, um, and that's, I guess, how Herbalife or most of these bigger companies work is they get you a buy-in, they get you results, the results and the methods they use, myself and yourself would probably argue there's better ways of doing it. But from a cost perspective, a lot of people can see, oh, it's cheap, we'll go for it. Uh, and then from a desperation perspective, as people are desperate for results quickly. So yeah. there is that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're looking for quick results for, uh, for fuck all money. Yeah. But they don't realise that it's going to be something they're going to have to do again and again and again if you're going to fit into that sort of mould. Everything has a cost, and it's whether you pay the cost at the start or the end, but you're ultimately going to pay the cost, and the cost isn't always money. Absolutely, and like I see it so often, you probably see it as well. Like people have done these things, they had the beliefs and thoughts they have around food and themselves and their body and what they can do and what you need to do to get X, Y, and Z goal, weight loss, toned, all that. They can be jolted for years, and it's very hard to break down someone's beliefs once yep. they've been ingrained in them. Yeah, it's a, it can be an, a tough battle for the person as well as the coach to try and help after that situation. So it's not just the, the period of time that you're doing it that it impacts you. It's long after. Yeah, I think the thing that as coaches we need to realise or be aware of is like 
as much as we try and get people and go, it's not black and it's white, the black and white's easy though, because it's either yes or no. When you were doing your bodybuilding phase, it was chicken, broccoli, five times a week in the gym, mm -hmm. and that was very, that's what you had to do, and if you didn't do that, you weren't living the life that you wanted to be. On the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're doing nothing, uh, like that's that's very easy because it's simple, but there's that mindset of how do we get people in the middle there and mm. go, maybe going to the gym for yourself two to three times a week is a good idea. Maybe instead of going to the gym three times a week, we maybe get you doing an extra 2,000 steps a day. Mm. We maybe get you going to walk. We maybe spend more time meal prepping on a Wednesday night as opposed to going to the gym busting yourself. Um, I think for us, setting that kind of grey up and go, yeah, there's times it will be white, there's times it will be black, there's times it's going to be grey, like periods of balance are usually followed by periods of imbalance to an extent, mm. and, and just setting that up. On that point, I think it's always good. And if you're listening to this, try and take away something for yourself. I think the expectations are always a good thing to kind of keep in mind. I'd say it's something you'd probably be pretty good at as well. Setting your expectations of people. People are mad. People think that, <laughs> people think they can get on stage like after six weeks, like yeah. you know, or get like, oh, I just want to get rid of all this fat in like two weeks and go on holidays. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to go into <laughs> the, the personal situations, but I've lost count of the amount of times I've had clients who are losing a really good rate of weight, fat loss measurements, whatever goal that they have. You see them that they've lost more weight than they've done in years and. They're going, I don't know if this is enough. Mm. And you're going, you are four weeks in. Like, you've lost four kilos in four weeks. You're losing a kilo a week. Mm. That's massive. Like, it's going to take time. You're, you didn't get to 120 kilos for a snack accident. Like, there was there, there was a lot of structures and routines that you followed or didn't follow to get you there. And it is just a case of, kind of how do you set people up? for having to enjoy it or make it sustainable for long enough mm. that they get results, but also like don't hate it really. You, your next one, actually we've probably touched on it a wee bit, but I thought it, it's something that I, I laughed at as well, but having to go off the drink for the full 12 weeks, what's your, what's your ideas behind that? What's your thoughts and feelings about coaches that say you can't drink whilst you're getting in shape or you can't drink whilst you're on plan or mm. what's your thoughts and feelings on that? I think. I'm coming at this from playing GA from my most of my life where there's a very anti-alcohol uh, view whenever it comes around time the championship and stuff and like I know teams where the managers like you can't even drink two weeks before a game and stuff like that. In terms of physique, obviously it's a wee bit different if you're doing things for fat loss reasons or to get toned or whatever. Like it's obviously the alcohol may impact a little bit more because the day after drinking you're going to find it hard to eat a type of way you're probably going to move fuck all and even the days after are going to be affected but is that alcohol or is that overconsumption of alcohol mm -hmm. so that's where i would put my hands anyway like it's not alcohol alcohol isn't really the issue it's that person obviously doesn't trust that the client to drink alcohol responsibly yeah and i think that can be a converse conversation to have with a client to be like right what you're thinking habits like and make them understand that that will impact that you know you can't just wipe away a weekend or wipe away the four days after that you didn't do any of the things that you wanted to do you, that can't be done you can have a drink i just think coaches do that because it's an easy way to try and get them to have more control basically a coach who does that just wants to have more control over your life to be able to make sure that they get the results that they want yeah usually for themselves yeah i would be looking at it right you can drink but if you go on a mad one except 
that the week or two after is probably going to be disrupted a little bit. Yeah. Don't get into that thing. I need to make up for it. Yeah. Have you a couple of drinks? I actually went out and had three pints last Sunday, and it was lovely. 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 I actually can't remember the last time I've had only three pints. <laughs> yeah. I was. I was going to say when you said about whether well, it's alcohol consumption or overconsumption, I don't really know what not over consuming is myself. So I don't know. I, I still struggle at times with my own fitness side of things and trying to manage just how much you can get away with. And I think that's sometimes through periods where I don't have clarity on what I want myself, it's very easy to, like I'm not into like sweets or anything, alcohol or in terms of a few pints, I just love a few pints. Mm. But when it comes to fitness and goals, again, I couldn't have put it any better what you said, so I'm not really going to add much to it. Like it is just going to impact the fact that you're, if you've got a few pints in you, you're more likely to have an next pint, you're more likely to snack on the crisps beside you. It didn't make anybody any better at dieting. And it's going to impact, like if you've got, that's why I tend to set people like non-negotiables in terms of the, their health, is if you've got 12,000 steps to do, if you wake up the next morning and you're hanging, you're less likely to do those 12,000 steps and trade that for a fry. Mm. And there's there's no issue with alcohol in terms of, from a calorie perspective, if you're, if, let's take it from the dieting perspective, uh, if it's just the calories you're looking at, it's not really that bad if you budget it, you can budget it like anything. From a performance standpoint, like it's not going to be the best for your recovery through overconsumption. If it's the day before a game, you're probably not going to play your best game. Um, I've, met a, I've met a few boys now that play better after a night out, maybe still drunk, but hey, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> I'm going to get sidetracked here. We had a boy, we had a boy at school in Scotland, of course, to start drinking in school, but the boy was terrible at uh, five aside until he had a few drinks and it was like Popeye with spinach. He'd turn up at five aside and you're always like, oh, has Sean had a few drinks and everyone's going, yeah, yeah. Normally, but oh, shit. And everybody's like, yes, he's had a few drinks. He's going to be classy. He was like, Lionel Messi when he had a few drinks in him. Oh, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'm not going to edit it, but I'll, I'll take that back. Maybe you can be better with a few drinks <laughs> in you, but <laughs> at least you're getting your steps in. Yeah. Um, cool. So the good, good and bad foods, you'd, yeah, you'd set the red flag is labeling foods as good or bad. So what's your thoughts and feelings on that? I think for that to be a red flag, you'd have to be thinking of your relationship with food in mind like you know some people they don't give a shit about any of that stuff when they look at coaches and stuff they're like results fat loss blah 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 so if that's the way you're thinking about then this is probably not going to be a red flag for you but if you want to if health or your well-being is in, of importance to you then it should be a, a red flag because the demonizing of certain foods is it's outdated at this stage like you know there's no benefit to labeling foods good or bad because we know at the end of the day the overall content of your diet is more important than the individual foods or the individual meals yeah um and i would even i like clients taking a step back and looking at things maybe from a seven day uh, at a seven day kind of way of looking at rather than looking at individual days and individual meals because when you have the good and bad food idea like idea floating around your head you can get really fucking pissed off and guilty for that one bad meal and one bad food and then it becomes a oh, fuck it sure I may as well continue on the whole day. Guilt around food is not really a great motivator. It can be a motivator for some people but I think when you say good, bad, you're attaching emotion and you're attaching worth to your food choices. It doesn't need to be. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head when you said emotion there. I think we need to look at food is more than just a plate in front of you. Like, mm. food is ingrained to relationships, cultures. We look at 
when we spend time with friends and family, a lot of the time it's like family meals, there's dinners, there's going out, first dates, it's all kind of we share food and it's more than just what's in front of you. So the emotional attachment to what's there and a lot of people will find it hard to break away from their own kind of structured routines simply because like if you've got, let's say you've got a family and you're all a little bit on the bigger side, if you decide you want to start making changes and you start turning down family dinners, the people around you tend to take it offensively and go, mm. they, they see it as a, you stepping away from them more so than the actual food on the plate. So there is a large amount of it as how do you incorporate the foods that you like within a structure that's going to get you the results that you want more so than anything else? Because I think a coaching process is a process. And if you give someone who's having lasagna for dinner, fish and chips for lunch and bacon and egg sandwich for breakfast, if you're giving them chicken broccoli, they've got to do one or two things. I really follow that until such times as they either burn out or the end of such like, 12 weeks, six weeks, eight weeks time, or they're just not going to follow it at all after a week and go, fuck this, I'm happier when I'm with the people around me enjoying myself because it mm -hmm. gives them instant gratification. Yeah. The social aspect of it is, is, is so hard. And I think that's another reason why people find it hard going back to the alcohol thing is because, especially Irish people, so much of our culture and socialising is done through alcohol. So it can be very hard to limit yourself to the three pints. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you on that. <laughs> I don't think that's just Irish culture. Yeah, I think it's good. Scotland's Irish, Celtic culture. Yeah. I do, to be fair. I From a coaching perspective, because I've moved most of the stuff online at the moment, see a bank holiday. It honestly gives me the fear because I have so many people who are meant to check in on a Sunday and a Monday and like this week here it's a bank holiday and wow, it's just everybody. To a large extent, even the people who are really on it, there's always the check-ins are always so, oh, I've done a bit of damage over the weekend or I had good intentions this weekend or I've done this, I've done that. And it's, I think it is just so much of, particularly Instagram and Facebook, when you decide that you want to stay in for a bank holiday and you're just seeing everybody around you, I have noticed in Ireland as opposed to Scotland on this one, people go mental on a bank holiday and if you've got all your mates and seen them going out, you're most likely going to be in with them. So I think weeks like that just navigating the fact that you're probably from a fat loss and even a mental energy perspective, you're not going to see a lot of positive returns if you're going on a mad one Friday to Sunday. No. No. And I think I would look at that being like, right, if you know you're that type of person and you're not at the stage where you're not going to be turning down those nights, just expect it in the weeks after and expect how your progress is going to come along. It won't upset. like. Even a mad weekend, I've been a many mad weekends and still made progress in terms of yep. strength and fat loss and, and building muscle. You just have to take it into consideration. It's when you start beating the fuck up by you yourself after yep. and be like, oh, I fucked it. And go down them negative spirals and continue the negative behaviours. Then it does become yep. really detrimental to your progress. Yep. You, I know you enjoy your can <laughs> and uh, I would enjoy a, a, a mad weekend myself and you can still still do both, just not all the time. Yeah, you know, That's the way I would look at it. Looking at the previous behaviours that you have and just being self-aware of that and understanding that there are going to be fuck-ups as meant to be. I get worried when people don't fuck up because I'm like, it's coming, it's coming at some point. I just don't yeah. know when it's coming and like, it's like, are you hiding something? Because the ones that come over and go like, absolutely 
fucked it this weekend, you're going, right, cool. at least we know that that's mm. your behaviours. Mm. We'll look at that. How do we address that in the future? Can we set up your week so that we know there's a big weekend coming? Let's plan ahead as best we can. Like, mm. if you're going to a restaurant, what, what what's, what's the plan of the restaurant? Are you going out on a mad one? Are you going out on a date? Are you going out for a, a, a sociable few drinks where we are capping it at three drinks? Like, what is the plan? And again, setting the expectations as to what do you want from the occasion? Cool, you said originally you wanted to go out with your whatever partner and just mm. have a few social drinks, didn't want to be hungover on a Sunday. So is having that fourth drink going to make your night any better? Is having that fifth drink going to make your night any better? Is having the drunken kebab at two o'clock in the morning going to make your night any better? And then just identifying that and then if there are mistakes made, just look at that and go, right, we've seen that has happened before, mm. we maybe just need to dial things in a little bit more for next time. 100%. Uh, before, we, before we move on to something uh, different, you mentioned kebab there and if anybody's left listening in the loud area, Kebab Palace and Drotada, best kebab I've had in Ireland, just on a side note. Sure. You know, you're not going to go up there in a dr- well, if you live in Drotada, you might have it drunkenly, but we'd have to drive up. So A sober kebab? It must be good if you're, you're having it sober and it's good. It's fucking banging. Banging? Banging. You know, what, what do you make of garlic mayo? Are you into it? I do like garlic mayo, yeah. I did I that garlic mayo. Yeah, I'd add garlic mayo, that's, yeah. Now, it's not a garlic mayo sort of a place, it's like a more traditional kebab. Oh, like, it's almost like a healthy kebab type thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, it probably wouldn't be too bad if you don't get the donner. Oh, I love donner. But it's good, the donner is good, very good. Cool, like, next time I'm in Jordan, which doesn't happen very often, but next time I'm in Jordan, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. I'm never in Jordan, I only go there for kebab palace. If anybody's <laughs> listening from Jordan who commutes to Dundalk at any point, bring us up a kebab. <laughs> um, cool. So, last one of the red flags. Uh, I'm sure it's not the last one of all fitness red flags, but the last one I took down. So, it doesn't matter if you have kids or a business, you either want it or you don't. There's a stretching ball for this one. Jesus. It hurts me deep in my soul when I hear people repeat this back to me that they've been told this. Being like, it doesn't really matter what's going on, like, you know. Now, the fact, I know what the coach is trying to get across, that everybody has time, and there's obviously time in everyone's week that we could better manage, or that we could just do smaller amounts of, of things. Uh, but I just think, saying that to somebody is, you know, like, oh, it doesn't matter if you have kids, it doesn't matter, like, that's, that's just a bit. Lack of empathy there, yeah. lack of understanding. In that case, what that person probably should do, or the coach should do, is actually go through the week with them and see where those little uh, moments that they could actually use to their advantage whether it's you know f- 20 minutes here and there to do a wee home workout if you're really stuck or sneak into the gym for a few deadlifts or t- 10 minutes to sit down and plan out your meals for the next couple of days just so that you're not thinking about it on your break you know what you're going to go and get it just saves time that's where the time should be spent not telling pe- giving out to people being like oh doesn't matter you obviously don't want it enough because for some people and i think people in our position forget that it can seem insurmountable to get to that goal or to be able to do these things when you have so much commitment uh whether it's business or kids and maybe it's both of them uh, it can be seem like uh, how, how can i handle all these things at once yeah so by telling somebody like that you're basically just kicking them in the bollocks yeah or the lady bollocks yeah uh, yeah you know instead of helping them so that's why i would take a, a stance like that that to me, seems sounds like somebody who's not willing to engage to try to engage with the person to try and help them. Yeah, I think exactly what you said in the sense that if you have a parent, their priority should and usually always will be their family above anything else. Now, if someone has reached out for you 
to you because they want to make a change, it's because they genuinely want to make a change. I don't really believe a lot of people reach out just for the crack. Yeah. They at some point decided that they want to make a change. Now, I think from the starting point, obviously being realistic about their kind of time and what is achievable for them. I was speaking to Chris Mack last time we actually mentioned about parents and sometimes using like children as an excuse. And I think possibly if taken in isolation might not have come across as well as it was meant to. So I'm going to kind of elaborate a little bit more on that. Is if you have children, then I think a lot of people, as you kind of started with, a lot of people can make an excuse going, I don't have time to do anything. But from a coaching perspective, there is a lot more time to do things that you might not think have great value mm. in the sense that you're just taking some time out and maybe go on a five minute walk with your child. Go walk into the shops, parking a wee bit further away with your child. It doesn't necessarily need to be you need to go to the gym, probably at all. We can make home workouts for you. We can do something that kind of can suit your, your lifestyle and your structure. But the point is we want to get you to a point where you want to be with that. And that also involves you being a better parent for your mm. children, feeling better within yourself. Like you can kind of give from an empty vessel. So it is important for you as a parent to be able to kind of give yourself that as well. Mm. Um, so it is entirely possible. And the same goes for people who have high stressful jobs and businesses. I train quite a few business owners. I'm sure you do yourself. And some of the busiest people are the ones who, again, have time to be able to just quickly log some food or quickly do something. So I find it hard to believe that people, just because you're a parent doesn't mean you don't have time. It just means we need to manage that time a little bit better. Mm. Um, but again, shaming someone into you don't want it enough. I think that's the reflection on how bad the coach is rather than anything else. It's, it's an easy yeah. out. It's like saying to somebody who's depression, now just cheer up. Like When you put it in them terms, we know that yes, that person may have more time and all that, but just telling them like, oh yeah, you don't want enough. It's not solving the problem. But if you're a parent and you're listening to this, there's always time. You just need to maybe sit back and reflect on your weekend, the little moments here or there, or as you mentioned, park further away, walk with the child, incorporate the children, or incorporate it into your, your business, maybe in your break, you go and do something productive, even logging in food and stuff like that. It's not even, like, people think, oh, yeah, you just have to do all these new things. Maybe change the way you do things already to try and suit your goals, you know. Yeah. There's always, always different ways of doing things. The problem I find is when people that have those commitments try and do things the way that people who don't have commitments do them. And yes. then they lose the run of themselves because they're not able to keep it up or that the fall off or that the progress isn't coming because you are not those people. Yeah. You know, I, whenever I was in my most amazing shape, I was only working part time. I was in college doing my thesis, doing sweet fuck all to be honest. Like yeah. up until the last three months, and then I grafted hard. Yeah, that's why I got in great. Well, part of the big part of the reason because I had no commitments, no worries, no negatives. There was no child getting sick at night, keep me up all night. There was no business. I don't know if I could do it now. Stress the stress yeah. levels having my own business yeah. compared to back yeah. then different. Yeah. I, I was actually, it's funny you said that because I was in Iceland a couple of weeks ago and uh, like over there, um, one of the people said, oh, what do you do? And I just thought, oh, the easiest way to kind of say things instead of going into online coaching, just go, oh, I want a gym. And the guy turned around and went, oh, you don't look like you want a gym. And I was like, Jesus, first time, like, fair night. And Iceland is possibly not the worst thing considering like most of them are crossfitters or the world's strongest man and stuff. So I probably do look very small compared to them. Didn't help me at the time. But I think with that, it's like, I'm too busy 
owning and running the gym to actually use the gym a lot of the time. So the expectations thing, 100% right mate, you're always in my opinion balancing plates. Now you can sometimes put more emphasis on one plate than the other but you're always going to balance them and the more you put an emphasis on one of them naturally the rest of them are going to get a bit more unstable mm. but you're still always balancing them. It's finding that kind of helping support to be able to do that. I always find it's definitely like I've always had some form of coaching in my life no matter what kind of area it is and I always find it got better because again the power of having something in your corner is massive but again mm. that's what we try and install in our clients is just it's the best thing you can do is reach out for help when you're spinning plates allow somebody to keep an eye on the rest of them for you just so you can kind of look at one of them yeah cool well i think at this point hopefully you have um got some form of a wee golden nugget or two from this podcast i'm not going to drag it out any longer it needs to be we've managed to survive so, so far without any tears <laughs> maybe a wee bit of sweat from coach big but yeah. i think we're going to wrap up here just before we go down where can people find you i will tag you in the kind of uh, description but where, where can people find you so i have a website higherTrainingCoaching.com. it has all information about the podcast that I have. I haven't released any episodes now in a wee while, but there'll be something popping up about that. Uh, you can find the podcast on Spotify, the Higher Training Podcast. It's up on YouTube as well. The lovely video that Kyle mentioned uh, earlier, done by Aaron Lally, had to sneak in a wee okay, shot out there. I passed him on the road on the walk down here. Give him a shout out, yeah. Um, on Instagram, at coach Higher Training. Give me a shout, watch, watch the, the rambles that I put up there and sure get involved. Yeah, definitely worthwhile. Um, as much as I was Darren's first, definitely kicked on with the podcast. He's up in the you're in the thirties now, is it twenties, thirties? Uh, if we get all the video, the ones out that we've recorded, it'll be I think forty one on that. Forty one, Jesus, you'd be a busy boy. Busy boy. Yeah. Cool. Well, give Darren a follow. Look at some of his stuff and drop him some feedback when you can. Um, pleasure having you on board, and look, speak to you next time.